Well, the book of 3 John, obviously the third letter that John wrote, he wrote these letters, all three of them, around 95 or so A.D. Uh, he now is up in his 90s. He's the old guy. He's the last apostle, the last, last disciple that is still living. He was one of the original 12. Uh, you remember back, if you go all the way back into the Gospels, he was one of the ones that when Jesus was walking by the seashore that day and he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, that he was one of those. There was James and John, Andrew and Peter. And so God, uh, through his son Jesus, called them to follow and they followed through not only through that season of life, but now as we see, as what John is writing here, like John followed all the way till his last days. And now up in his 90s, now in the 90s AD, 60 years after Jesus had uh, ascended into heaven, he writes these letters to the church. Now, the last two letters, 1 John and 2 John, were letters that were kind of written as an open letter, as a, a letter that would be circulated, that would be sent around to different churches. They were letters that were not addressed to any specific individual, but rather they were sent to the church at large, and so uh, sent to you and me as we are here in 2022, 2,000 years after this was written. It was written to you and me. Now, 3 John is a little bit different. Because this actually is a personal letter. It's a letter that John wrote to a very specific person. His name is Gaius. He's, uh, you know, that was a name that was pretty uh, common back in those days. And so if you read through uh, the book of Romans and several places in the book of Acts, you'll find that name Gaius. It is uh, located in several spots there. Not the same. Not the same guy. Different guy. Uh, this is uh, the only time that he's mentioned in Scripture, this one particular man. And he was a person in a church that, uh, that John was writing this letter to to talk about some pretty important things. Now, when I was kind of walking through the idea of what I was going to title this sermon. Uh, you know, kind of reading through, and you'll see what I'm talking about in just a few moments. I kind of came up with some different ideas, and, you know, whether it's like, I don't know, like two guys and a jerk would be a great title for this, uh, this sermon. Maybe two and a half men, I don't know. Uh, you know, perhaps like, like, you know, two rights and a wrong, because what we're going to talk about, and that John talked about, are three different people within the church that, that, that kind of are an example of people within the church today. And so we're going to look through and kind of walk through this passage that John gives to us, understanding that as followers of Christ in 2022, in the body of Christ, in the church of Jesus Christ, like you really have but two choices to make, like within the church, okay? So one is that you're going to be faithful and you're going to walk in truth, or two, you're going to be like one of the guys mentioned here in this short little letter who is not doing the right thing. Okay, so you really only have two choices. So that's really kind of what we're coming down to. And so that's the application for us today. I'll give it to you before we even get into the message. The application is this. You have a choice to make. Are you going to walk in truth or are you not? So let's jump into the passage. Again, it's the shortest book, like 269 words, I think it is, something like that. Short little book, short little letter, but uh, man, huge, big truths that we need to understand. So let's go to 3 John. Beginning with verse 1, uh, he starts with the elder. Remember last week, that's just how he addressed. He got to the point where he was so old and so well-known and so respected that he didn't have to go through some big greeting and say who he is. And all. He just said, like, I'm the old dude. I'm the last one standing. So here's what I have to say. He says, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth. That's an important statement there. Uh, in fact, that word fidelity, you don't find that actually like in the King James. It's a, kind of this idea of, of like walking in the truth. 
But it goes on to say, how you're walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children are walking in truth. That's the key verse of this short little letter. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and the sisters, especially when they're strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works that he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he's not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. You ought to circle that verse in your Bible. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself, and we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will walk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you greeting, and greet the friends by name. Now, obviously, as we read through that passage, you heard the three names, right? There's Gaius, there's Diotrephes, and there's Demetrius. Now, Gaius and Demetrius are the good guys. Diotrephes is the bad guy. And so you have two guys doing the right thing, one guy doing the wrong thing, and that is kind of the lesson of what John wants us to get from this letter. The Holy Spirit, again, a personal letter written to an individual, but still we can learn things from it. Still we can glean things from it that can help us in our journey and in our walk, because really our faith is always a personal faith, right? We, our, our faith is not a corporate faith. We gather in this room today, there's, I don't know, there's probably, I don't, I don't know, 3,000, 3,500 people in this room. Like, the, our faith is not dependent on the person sitting next to you. Like, like, we don't walk in our faith in a corporate faith, we walk in a personal faith. So we can learn some very important truths from this passage, a personal letter, that can help us do what we need to do, to walk in the way that we need to walk. So we go back to the passage. He starts the letter saying, hey, Gaius, man, great to hear that you're doing great things. I'm so happy and so excited about all the things that I'm hearing about uh, people that are sharing me with about what you're doing. Uh, he says that he hears from people who are traveling. So uh, kind of a reference back to 2 John. Remember, we talked about how a lot of people, teachers, evangelists, preachers would, would travel around and they would stay in the homes of individuals, right? Remember, we talked about that last week. And so John obviously had heard from people about what Gaius was doing, about how uh, hospitable he was, how a good host that he was. And so there's just some thoughts here, some statements here that we need to understand. And the first one is this, is that, that what John had heard about Gaius is that he was a man who was walking in truth. So the lesson that we can glean from that is this, hey, we should walk in truth. You go back to the passage in verse 3 and 4, for I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, your adherence to the truth, like, like locking on to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. Now, John's encouragement here was to, for them, for Gaius and for others that would read this letter, and for all of us, 
Like, hey, it's important that we're walking in truth. Now, you know in 1 John and in 2 John, he talked about truth and love. He talked about, you know, being a person who love, love one another, show love. Love is of God. Love comes from God. Love flows from our connection to God. Now, here he kind of turns a little bit of a, a corner here and kind of changes the narrative because he doesn't mention love here. He mentions truth. Now, the important thing that we must recognize, and we talked a little bit about it two weeks ago, is that it is impossible to truly love according to God's plan for love unless we are also understanding of truth, that we really kind of connect in truth. And so there's three kind of ideas that John, I think, is, is conveying to us today is that we as followers of Christ have a responsibility to do three things, okay? The first one is this, we've got to seek the truth. It's impossible to walk in truth unless you seek the truth, right? Like, you, you can't go out and decide, like, man, I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to walk in truth and never pick up God's Word and never look into, kind of glean from what God wants to give to you of what truth really is, because what will happen is this, is that if you say, I'm going to walk in truth, and you never spend time studying God's Word, what you will end up doing is walking in whatever truth you happen to hear that day. And by the way, in case you... Uh, have not been paying attention, there are a lot of truths that are being bounced around in our world and our culture today, right? And the vast majority of those truths are not truths at all. In fact, the vast majority of those truths are truths that have just been made up. Now, understand this. If a truth has just been made up, guess what it cannot be called? Because truth is truth, and truth will always be truth, and truth can never cease to be what? So, in other words, if it's new, it's not true, right? And so this idea that we live in our culture today where truths are constantly being changed, they're constantly being, you know, kind of rewritten and, and tweaked and changed according to cultural uh, adherences and to ideas and, and to, you know, things to make sure that we're fitting in and to making sure that we're actually like, like being tolerant of others. See, what happens is when we're trying to figure out to adjust our truths in order to be tolerant of someone else's truth, then we will adjust our truth to their truth, which was never truth, which means now none of us are walking in truth, right? So in other words, what we got to do is we got to seek truth. How do you seek truth? Well, I mean, this is easy. Guys, you, if you've been here like any length of time, if you've been here like more than one week, you know seeking truth means seeking God's Word. Now, unfortunately, we live in a time today, in a culture today, where there are a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, a lot of ministries that you might see on television that say, if you want to seek truth, listen to the pastor. That they might say, like, if you want to seek truth, make sure you show up at our church and we'll tell you what truth is. Like, I'm your pastor here, and I want to tell you, like, first off, like, right up front, like, you seeking truth does not mean you seeking what I say. Do you understand that? Now... I hope that when I stand up here and I preach God's Word, I, I'm preaching truth, right? I, I, I long for that. I, I work on that. I work hard and diligently to make sure that what I give you is truth. But understand this. If you're going to truly seek truth according to God's plan and God's method for His prescription for seeking truth, it's not something that you can delegate to someone else. I'm a pastor, that's great. That means I'm a shepherd. That means I'm someone that can help kind of walk all of us through, and, and that's my job. It's my responsibility. We have a wonderful, you know, pastors here at our church that are doing the same thing. In our community, wonderful pastors that are all firmly committed to truth and, and helping people walk through truth. But it is your job to seek truth, and you do not seek truth by simply showing up at church. 
You seek truth on a Monday night when you open God's Word and you spend time in it. You seek truth on a Tuesday morning when you wake up and the first thing that you do is you talk to God and you open His Word to see what He has to say to you. You seek truth on your own. And that is such an important thing because we live in a time where so many people are lazy. We live in a time of the Instagramification of our society where if you can't see it in 60 seconds or less, then you don't want to spend time looking for it, right? You cannot know the truth of God's Word through a 60-second thing on Instagram or TikTok or whatever else is out there today, Facebook, whatever. Like, get into God's Word. Spend time studying His Word because when you do, you will learn incredible things about what God wants you, and here comes the second thing, to know. You see, we have a duty to seek the truth, and what happens when we seek the truth is this really cool. It's awesome. When you seek the truth, you know what will end up happening? You'll end up knowing the truth. That's pretty cool, right? Anybody here want to know truth? I do. Like, like that's something that should be like a longing of your heart, right? And so what John is saying here when he said in verse 4, like, I have no greater joy than to know that my children, like those that I've poured into, remember, he's the old dude, been around a long time, right? Like, I have no greater joy to know that they are walking in truth. You cannot walk in truth unless you have been seeking truth. You cannot walk in truth unless you know truth. And then the third thing, obviously, that leads to, the natural result is that you'll be walking in truth. And isn't that the call? Isn't that the, the ultimate goal for all believers that we walk in truth? Like that every day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that every day of the week, that as you go about your business, as you go to class, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go to play golf, as you go to the restaurants, that you are walking in truth. In other words, you're not a hypocrite. That's a good thing. Like that you're not living, like doing evil things. You're walking in truth, doing what it is that God has called you to do. Like that is the ultimate plan for each and every one of us. That is God's plan for you. So you seek it. As a result, you will know it. And because you know it, you will walk in it. And so when he gives us this passage and very clearly says, like, I've got no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. I want you to kind of take this verse, verse 4, the key verse of this passage, and kind of tweak it a little bit and kind of think of it this way. John wrote these words, right? You know that. We've talked about this. If you haven't figured that out yet, you've not been paying attention. The Apostle John wrote these words, right? You got that. But who actually breathed these words into the hand that John wrote? The Holy Spirit of God, right? So then let's actually take it back a step. Who wrote these words? Come on, this is like, this is easy. The Holy, the God wrote these words, right? So what did God say? I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. Let me ask you a question. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who has believed that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was buried, that he rose again three days later for you, that the one that you know, the only one that can save you, the only one that can pay for your sins, the only one that can promise the, the hope of heaven, the one that in John chapter 14 Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and the place that I go, where I go, you know, and you will be there, I will come again to receive you to myself. Like, thinking about that, if that is the Jesus that has done all that work for you, 
that he's giving you this incredible promise and this hope of heaven, like awesome, incredible, amazing, Revelation 21, incredible place that God has given to you. Do you think you want to bring him joy? Do you think that in your journey that you actually want to do things that, that honors that God, like that, that makes that God feel really good, right? So like I've got four kids and, and I know like, I, you know, I mean, they, sometimes they admit, sometimes they wouldn't, but like I know that they like to do things that, that you know, that, that I'm proud of, right? Like, like, I know that in their journey, in their life, like, the things that they want to do, they want to do things to make their dad proud of them, right? I remember back with my mom and dad. Man, when I, when I, I always wanted to make my mom and dad proud. I can guarantee you I didn't always pull that one off. But I always wanted to make them proud, right? And when I did something, I thought, like, man, I was so excited whenever I heard my dad say, hey, man, I'm proud of you, man, great job. When my mom, man, it was, awesome. it was just an awesome feeling, Right? And that pales in comparison to what we should want for our relationship with Him. Is like we should want and desire that in everything that we do, that we are making our Father proud. Yes. <laughs> she agrees. She said, I, I want to make my daddy proud. Uh, she's probably like, I don't know, two months old. And the, the cool thing is this. Is it recognizing that when Jesus, through his word, spoke these words, like, I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth. Like, the cool thing is this, is that now we have been given a very clear statement from the Holy Spirit of God of what you can do to make your dad proud. Like, you don't have to figure it out anymore. Because let's be honest, there are times that we sit back and we think in our journeys in our life, like, like how could God love me? Like with all my faults and all my problems and all my mistakes, all the things that I've done, the sins I've committed, like, like how could God want me? How could God be proud of me? How could God look at me and think, man, I'm so glad that he's my child? Like how could that be a reality? Well, here's how. I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. He doesn't say, I have no greater joy than my children are perfect. And I'm glad he didn't say that. He doesn't say, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are all preachers and pastors. No, I didn't say that. He didn't say, I have no greater joy than to know that my children, like, have PhDs and, and, and you know, doctors in ministry, like, they know, like, the incredibly, you know, trained and educated in the Word. No, 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 none of that. Here's what he says. I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. How do you walk in truth? You seek it, you know it, and then you walk in it. It's a pretty simple prescription that God gives to us and how we can bring him joy. And that's what John tells us in verse 4. But then he doesn't stop there because recognize this, is that while we have a responsibility to walk in truth, and while that makes God happy, it brings him joy to know that we walk in truth, we also have a duty and a responsibility, a burden that God places upon us to help others do the same. Like it doesn't just stop with you. It's not all about you, that you must help others do the same. Go back into verses 5 and 6. I'm sorry, to verses 6 through 8. They have testified to your love before the church. Then talking about these people who travel around, right? Remember these traveling evangelists. They have testified to your love, Gaius, before the church. You will do well to send them out on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans, therefore we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Now we talked about it last week, it was common during that time 
for people who traveled around and spoke in the different churches, who traveled around preaching the gospel, preaching the, the Word of God, it was common that people within the churches would host them in their homes because of the, you know, they, they didn't want to stay in the hotels of the day because they were places that didn't have a great reputation, right? So it was natural to show hospitality and welcome them into their homes. And so Gaius was one who has been doing that, and so he had heard about that from those who were traveling around. But notice what he said here. He says, you will do well. In other words, you really should be doing this to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. In other words, like that you are helping them to do what God has called them to do, since they set out for the sake of the name. In other words, because they were called of God to minister the gospel, you, Gaius, have a duty and a responsibility to help them fulfill fulfill their call. Now, here's what I would say to you. Every person in this room has a duty and a responsibility not only to fulfill your call to ministry, but also to help others fulfill their call. Like, all of you have a duty and a responsibility to make that happen. And so that's what he says here in this passage, like, we have a responsibility to come alongside. And so he's talking about here, he says, in the sake of the name, obviously the sake of the gospel, the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, and then it goes on to say, accepting nothing from pagans. In other words, they weren't getting their money from people who were outside of the church or outside of their faith. They weren't trying to figure out how to do this on their own. They were getting their support from people within the church. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. That verse right there is one of the greatest verses of missions than there is anywhere in Scripture. Because what that tells you is just simply this is that when you help others fulfill their call, when you are supporting them in their ministry, when you are giving, like, help, support, money, resources, time, when you are doing that to help others in fulfilling their call, it literally tells us right that you are co-workers, you're doing it with them. Dwight Pogamiller is our missionary to Romania, has been there for a number of years. And every month, this church sends support to him. We have uh, life groups in our church that on their own, they independently support Dwight and send him resources. Uh, There are people, individuals in our church that that also give him money. And we have a lot of other, we have like 85 or 90 different missionaries that every single month we are supporting right here from uh, from Thomas Road. And, And a lot of you are supporting even more than that. And know this, according to God's Word, like don't take like some PR person or some fundraising letter writer person's word for it. What God's Word says is this, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Every time that you are helping someone to fulfill their call in ministry, you are doing the work with them. Ron over here is a part of the Gideons, and you remember back a couple of months ago, we took up a Gideon's offering here, and one of the largest Gideon offerings we've ever taken, or probably, well, actually it was the largest we've ever taken, one of the largest that I think you guys have ever received in this area. And what's really cool is that like every single day, the Gideons are handing Bibles out in hotels and in hospitals and in nursing homes. They're giving it to people in ballparks. They did that just a couple of weeks ago uh, over at uh, the Hillcat Stadium, giving the the Bible out, giving the Word of God out. Every time they're handing the Word of God out to someone, what's really cool, because we came alongside of them, guess what? We're doing it with them. Like, we're right there as if we were the ones handing them the Bible. You see, that is a great, important, and powerful statement about the importance of missions. You see, we have a responsibility to walk in truth. We have a responsibility to help others do the same thing, and that's what John is talking. Gaius, you're doing a great job. 
man, so proud of you. But then he takes like a, a kind of a whiplash moment, a U, you know, U-turn here, like really quickly. He's like, man, everything's awesome. You guys are great. You're doing a great, great work. And then there's a big but that comes into the statement here, which brings us to our third point for today. Avoid hypocrisy and jealousy in ministry and in your walk with Christ. Look what it says in verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works that he's doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so, and he expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. In other words, what he's saying about Diotrephes is this. He's saying, listen, Diotrephes is a guy that believes that his leadership within the church, it's either my way or the highway. Anybody ever met someone? Don't put your hands up. Anybody ever met somebody like that? Like, like it's got to be my way or you're out of here. That's what Diotrephes was in the church. Now, that comes from only a couple of things, right? It comes from pride. It comes from this idea like I've got to be better and more powerful and more significant than anyone else, right? That when you look at me, Diotrephes is thinking, like, I want to be the person who is like set up on a pedestal here. Like, like I want to be like the guy. I want all the credit. I want all the attention. I want everyone to celebrate what I have done. And I will tell you today that there are churches all around the world today that have been destroyed because people in the churches have led those churches with that as their heartbeat. I want the attention. I want you to honor what I've done. I want you to celebrate me because it's all about me. And we know what Proverbs 16 tells us, right? It says this, pride comes before what? Destruction. I know people always get that wrong. I'm not going to. It's pride comes before the destruction. A haughty spirit comes before the fall. Like we know pride destroys everything that it touches. And yet so often, man, we allow pride to get into our daily walk and to our journey. It becomes something that we like, like just have to have because it's all about me. I want to be celebrated. Anytime that you want to spend your life and that you want to be celebrated, here's what I'm just telling you right up front. Like know this, you're headed for destruction. It, it, it cannot be anything else. There will never be a person who walks their faith journey, walks their life out in arrogance and pride that will not end in destruction. It cannot happen. I'm just telling you, it's not like it might happen. It's not like it could happen. It's not like, man, eh, you've got to be careful because you know, you're walking like dangerous territory. I'm telling you, if you're walking your spiritual journey in arrogance and pride, destruction is guaranteed. It's going to happen. That's according to God's Word. And I can tell you and I can give you, and I'm not going to, a thousand examples and illustrations of that very truth I could give you that have happened even in the last two or three years, that have happened all around the world. Pride and arrogance will always lead to destruction, and that's what Diotrephes was doing. But not only that, but understand this, pride and arrogance always lead to a couple other things. Pride and arrogance always lead to slander. Because you see, if I want everything to be about me, if I want everybody to celebrate me, then what I will naturally do is spend my time cutting other people down. Because you see, the lower I can put you, the higher that I can be in my mind, right? So, you know, I'm sitting here and, and you know, I'm walking through this faith life. I'm walking through this journey. I look at Ryan. Ryan's a good guy. Ryan, stand up. Ryan's a good guy. Everybody meet Ryan. Say hi, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Ryan's a good guy. 
And so I know he's a good guy. I mean, we, we, he's just a wonderful guy. You know, always faithful. I mean, they love what he's doing. And it's really cool. But here's the deal. If, if I want people to celebrate me and not celebrate Ryan, then what I have to end up doing, because Ryan's such a good guy and he is a good guy, I actually have to tell people Ryan's not such a good guy. Like Ryan is a jerk. He is selfish and he is mean and he is arrogant and he is awful and he hurts people and he can't, you know, he's not honest. You can't trust him. And if you go to his work, if you go to his business, you know, watch your dollars because he's a, one of those Christian guys, right? You know, be careful. He, he will take you for a ride. But he is not a good guy. You see, I have to do that. I have to put him down because in my mind, it's like the, the seesaw effect here. If I put him down, then I'm going to be raised up, right? And so that's what you can sit down. You did a great job. It's seriously, fantastic. And everything I said about you is not true, except for the first part where I said you're a good guy. It's great. What, what, John, what John is writing here is like, like Diotrephes is a guy that, that he is so arrogant. He wants the preeminence. Like that's what the King James says. He wants preeminence in the church. He wants to be celebrated within the church. And as a result of that, he is slandering. And do you know who he's slandering? John. Because it says right here, like he's malicious in his slander towards me and, and uh, well, he says towards us. And, and, and who is John? John's the elder. John's the last living apostle. He's the one that, the, the apostle that, that is referred to in scriptures as the one whom Jesus loved, right? Like, like he is like one of those special guys who had that opportunity of walking you know, side by side, hand in hand, heart to heart with Jesus as he carried out his ministry on this earth. Like, he is like an incredible, like, to put him down is just like unthinkable. And that's what he's doing. He's slandering him. Why? Because pride will always lead to you putting other people down. And understand this, if you spend your faith life with pride, then you will also end up in your faith journey criticizing and putting other people down, you cannot help it. You will end up slandering other people. It's a natural reaction. It's a natural progress. You cannot do anything but that because you have to elevate yourself. And if you're going to elevate yourself, you will naturally end up having to put other people down. But notice this and what the passage says here. And what ends up happening from that is pride leads to slander and slander leads to abusive behavior. Because what he says here, and not only that, he says, John says he's not even happy with that. Like, he's not even happy with putting people down. He's not even happy with trying to have preeminence. But now, here's what he has to do. He actually has to stop people from doing what God has called them to do. He has to put them down. And if they will not stop, he kicks them out of the church. Again, I could give you a thousand examples in our day and age, in the last few years of churches around the world, where abusive behavior by the leaders of that church have caused dissension and destruction within the body of Christ and have caused great harm to the body of Christ because, again, pride led to slander and slander led to abuse. And I will tell you today, there is no room for pride, slander, or abusive behavior within the church of Jesus Christ. If this is a place that lifts up and exalts the name of Christ, pride, slander, and abusive behavior better not be in the church. If it is, kick that stuff out and the people who do it. It cannot be present in this day and age. It cannot be present within the church that claims to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can't help yourself when it's all about you. You're going to abuse other people. We cannot allow that type of stuff. And that's what John's saying. Like, don't do that. 
Like, man, don't walk in that path. Don't love those things. Like, like, don't imitate what is evil. Imitate what is good, because what is good is of God, and what is evil is not. It's a simple statement. And so for all of us in this room today, what can we learn from that? This is a personal letter written to a guy named Gaius who lived 2,000 years ago. It was a letter directly written to him. What can we learn? Man, don't imitate the things of the world. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be slanderous. Don't abuse people. And I, when I say abuse, I, obviously I mean physical abuse. No question about that. But I'm talking about emotional abuse. I'm talking about spiritual abuse. It's in the news even today of churches that are spiritually abusing people. Man, that can't happen. This is a call, a clarion call from the Holy Spirit of God. There better be integrity within the house of God. There better be integrity in the house of God. And that's what John tells us in this passage. So, man, absolutely avoid hypocrisy, avoid jealousy. And then what he ends up in this, uh, this farewell statement at the end of 3 John is he ends up just basically telling us this, like, trust in the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 15. Peace to you. The friends, they send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. In other words, that statement, peace to you, what that tells us is this, is that peace can only flow from the hand and the heart of God. And that's what John wishes for Gaius. It's what John wishes for the church. It's what he wishes for Demetrius, which we mentioned a moment ago. Like, he's the other guy that's it's a young guy coming up. In other words, man, great lesson. Like, help those coming behind you. Don't ever actually, like, get worried about somebody who comes behind you who's more talented than you are. Like, help them do what they do. My dad always told me, if you want to be successful in life and successful in ministry, surround yourself with people who are smarter and more talented than you are. A prideful person can't do that. A person who's all about themselves can't do that. They will not do that. They will actually end up getting rid of people like that. Man, can you imagine what it's like for me as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ to know that I walk into this room like every week and I have to stand on a stage with a guy like Charles Billingsley who can preach and who can sing? I mean, seriously, like that, that's like, you know, intimidating. I mean, you know, think about it. Like he can preach. He does a great job preaching. He does a great job singing. It's like it drives me nuts. I mean, that's a struggle, right, Charles? I mean, you know, it's like every week I've got to figure out. I'm always trying to keep a list of things I can make fun of them of, right? So I can, no, I'm just kidding. But no, that's actually, that's true. I don't want to lie in church. I do have a list. I, I have a list. Has nothing to do with the fact that he can preach and they say, but here's the deal. When you, when you are prideful and you are only worried about yourself and you only want to elevate yourself, like you cannot help someone else grow in their ability, in their ministry, because you, you don't want that, because you want it to be all about you. And so what he's telling us is this, man, trust in the faithfulness of God. Walking in the truth will always provide a selfless view of self and of the world which will always result in the contentment and the peace that only God can give. And isn't that what we really all want? And that only comes through recognizing what Jesus came to give. And only Jesus can give it, by the way. In John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no woman, no person comes to the Father except through me. Like, only Jesus can give that. And so John just makes it clear, like, hey, the church, man, you've got some struggles. You've got some people in the church that are messed up. You've got some people in the church who 
are selfish and some people in the church who are prideful and you've got some people in the church who are, are slandering others and gossiping about others. Yeah, I mean, you've got people in the church that, man, they, they're trying to hurt others and abuse others. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff is true. Hey, don't do that. Walk in truth. And that truth only flows through the promise and the hope and the acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Walk in truth. Father, today we thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear truth. Because God, we need it. We're desperate for it. But so often we miss it and we lose sight of it and we are deceived because of it. Because other people try to rewrite truth and change truth and change the narrative. God, don't allow us to fall victim to those types of things. Help us to seek truth. And as a result, that we'll know truth. And as a result, we'll walk in truth, God, so that we can be people who just truly understand, God, your will and your way. And that's really all that we desire. And so right now, Lord, I pray that for the people in this room watching, listening, God, I know there are people in this room that fall into all the different categories that we've talked about today. Like there are some people who are just doing it right. They're nailing it. They're doing great. Then there's some others, God, that are struggling. And then still some others, Father, who are walking still in that prideful experience. God, I, I know that there are people from all different walks here. Lord, I, I pray that, Lord, this would be a time where we are honest with ourselves and that we get things right. That we change the narratives to be yours, not ours. So God, I pray that in these moments to come, Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, like they've never experienced that relationship with you that flows only through Jesus, God, I pray right now that they'll make that decision to trust in Christ. Lord, if there are people here today that are struggling with pride, that they'll get it right. Struggling with arrogance and slander and gossip, they'll get it right. God, if there are people here today that just really, really want to, to, to rededicate and recommit themselves to truth, God, I pray that that's what they would do. And God, we give you the praise for it. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, we're going to stand. Our, our team is going to lead us. Our team is gathered here at the front. And we're just going to walk through a time of invitation. And so if you're here today and you find yourself in any one of those categories where you really kind of need to like deal with some stuff, like, like the altar's open, and I encourage you to make your way to the altar today and just talk with our team or kneel here by yourself, whatever it is. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. That's cool. You want to come and be a part of our ministry here. Man, that's fantastic. You want to come for baptism. That's awesome. Like, like whatever God is telling you to do, like, well, let's do it. Let's respond. So let's stand right now. Let's sing. Charles is going to lead us. And I just encourage you to step out right now.
thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it brings. And God, we're so grateful for your love. So I pray that as we walk out of here today, that we will walk in truth. We'll seek it. We'll know it. We'll walk in it. We'll live in it. God, that we'll show others what truth is, that we will live in exactly what it is that you want us to do. God, that we will be people who follow after your way and your will in our lives. And God, anything that comes into our path or into our way that, that tries to stop that or to change that or distract us or deceive us, God, help us to perceive it, to know it, and to put it away and run after you. God, for that, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar remains open. We'd love to talk with you. God bless you. We'll see you back next Sunday. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.